Hello, everyone. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and this is the Asher Marketing Podcast. My guest this week is Carly Myers with the Embassy Theater. Carly, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, it sounds like things are rolling a little bit more back to normal at the embassy. You just had a couple big announcements. Are you uh, able to share those with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So yesterday we announced that on sale this Friday is John Christ, who is a comedian that's really kind of uh, getting his tour all set up through this this Friday's announce on his own site with his own team. And then we have Joe Bonamassa that's coming this fall as well. And he was we were kind of working to wait and see until he could make a tour, full tour announcement. He's got some summer shows too, but he's doing a full tour. And so we are definitely feeling the coming out of the pandemic uh, kind of the impact right now. Everyone is really has tons of holds on our calendar. And right now we're just starting to finalize a lot of those holds and get things either re-announced, rescheduled, or a lot of people are coming to us that are um, that didn't have holds on the calendar, but that are eager to get out in venues and per- perform live again. Well, well, great. Well, that's great news. And there's a lot of pent up demand on both sides for Absolutely. people to perform and for those of us who don't perform to go see performers. Yes. So that's great. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. As you know, on this podcast, we talk about marketers and their career path. We talk about the organizations they work for and then some of the projects that you're involved in. So I want to start with career path because you've had a pretty varied career path, yes. as a lot of our guests have, <laughs> sure. working for institutions in financial services, doing work in the insurance world, and now for an entertainment venue. So let's start at the beginning, whatever that is for you. You mentioned before we hit record that you grew up in Fort Wayne. So take us through how you went from, let's start with college to to where you are today. I know that's a, sure. <laughs> a, a winding path, but uh, tell the story however you'd like to tell it. Right. Yeah. So in, in school, I was uh, fortunate to have a uh, pretty good education in Fort Wayne through what were called the magnet programs in Fort Wayne at the time yep. um, at Weiser Memorial Park, went through the honors program at, in, um, at, at Wayne and felt I had a, um, I was a really good student, very academically focused. But once I got to uh, the, my college goals, I had a lot of opportunities of, to go abroad um, and definitely had the grades and kind of the, um, the academic history to be able to do what I wanted to do. But um I was a very practical person paying my way through college on my own and mm-hmm. and realized once I went down and did some tours of even Indiana University and um, some Indiana-based um, institutions that actually at the time, IPFW had a really good English staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pretty impressed with some of the people they had on yeah. in their tenure. Um, so I decided to at least start here um, and kind of took a, you know, I took some really interesting um, electives through college to just mm-hmm. make sure that I was on the right path. But I landed on English, um, specifically rhetoric, composition, and linguistics, because I knew how important just communication and the foundation of being able to communicate, whether it's visually in writing, however, was really important to be a, a foundation for any career. And I was really good at it. And I had a, a penchant for not only being a good creative writer, but a good technical writer. I did journalism stuff in high school. So I really wanted to 
hone in on that um, and had some great uh, professors and got that degree. So do do any of the names of those who um, you worked with there in terms of faculty, does anyone come to mind? I want to see if there are any of the same folks who I had classes okay. with. Well, George Calamaris is amazing yep. and mm-hmm. Marianne Kane, of yep. course. Um, yeah. yeah, Larry Friedman was on at the time okay. um, and I had Larry for not only literature and some writing stuff but film courses as well. Yeah. Um, and he was really tough but I really clicked with the way he taught. Um, so I did a lot of stuff and had some great classes over at Cinema Center with him. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of those are the those are the three that really made an impact. George made a huge impact on me because he, I've always been a really dedicated student mm-hmm. and, and just somebody that still like just yearns to learn every day. Yeah. And he had tough requirements. Sure. And he didn't let students off the hook. He, he pushed you and um, I look back on some of the writing I did, even in college, as a cre- from a creative perspective, and it's still some of the best stuff I've ever done. Yeah, I've heard. I've I know George, but I never took one of his classes. I heard really great things about him. Marianne was actually one of the people on my thesis committee and was great oh, to yeah. work with. Yeah, she's um, great. She helped me with that, despite my efforts to not help myself. She did a great job <laughs> getting me through that. Well, take us from so so you finish with a degree in English. I'm yep. an English major myself, so I'm interested in. <laughs> How do you find your first job? Because the thing I learned pretty quickly is that while English prepares you for a lot of things, it doesn't specifically prepare you for anything very specific. Yeah, no, absolutely. So as I was going through, and I I started my master's degree at IPFW, and then there were several staff departures. Mm -hmm. And there were people I really had planned on Mm -hmm. seeing that that part of my, my, uh, my education through. And I had like one semester that just didn't quite do it for me. And I don't like to waste time. Yeah. So for me at the time, I was already working full time mm-hmm. and everything um, and wanted to kind of get on a path. So I had an opportunity um, with one of my linguistics professors, Beth Simon, who was amazing too. Um, yeah, she was great. I, she's great. I really enjoyed working with her um, and and never spoke to her again after school was done, but really yeah. enjoyed my experience in her she's classes. She's a great linguistics professor. And she came to me and said, I can get you into a graduate program at Yale for linguistics. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, would you like to pursue this? I had to do a lot of thinking on that because what an opportunity. She thought I had the chops. Sure. Um, and then I started to think realistically and practically because that's a part of me that I can't shake. Sure. And knew that it would be really hard to yeah. forge a career path with that. Sure. Um, so at the time, I was kind of doing our all of our young career things that we do, retail, you know, bartending, serving, whatever those jobs are, landscaping, whatever. And I was in retail and got a job at um, what was at the time Lincoln Investment Management Mm -hmm. before that piece of the company kind of went, uh, went away. And from there, I had my sights on getting over into the annuities division where they had a communications, a small communications division. Sure. And so I kind of put in my, you know, my effort over LIM, which was very a very uh, interesting experience. I'm really glad I had that as my first real professional job. A lot of pressure. I saw a lot. I had to deal with a lot of personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to learn to be uh, a great communicator um, and project manager on the job right out of the gate. Um, and then I kind of waited to see if there was an opening in another part of the company, specifically looking at communications. And I just waited it out and it came open. Okay. And I applied. And what that position allowed me to do was prove that I was a good writer. I was organized as a good project manager. I could think more broadly than just a small project scope um, that I could help creatively determine 
um, broader strategies mm -hmm. for the company at the time because mm -hmm. we did a lot of interesting things in the short time I was in that division. Yeah. Um, and so that was that allowed me to get some real on-the-job experience to prove that that utilizing my communications English um, and just my academic background to be really good. Like I'm, I'm a perfectionist by nature. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I could kind of prove that um, the stuff I learned in college and then the stuff I had learned in my earlier academic career, just kind of the the kind of the person that I'm cut from, like I'm someone that takes initiative. Yep. I like to like get things done. I like to figure out solutions, problem solve. I was able to do all of that there. And I was able to work from, at the time, everybody from Gabe Shaheen, who was at the top, all the way down to people in the lunchroom and just like the whole diverse set of people there um, sure. in lots of different ways. So it was it was a good way of uh, teaching myself how to figure out how to communicate and do a really good job in a lot of different types of projects. Sure. So how did you make the jump? Because it was a little bit of a challenge for me. You know, I came out of school saying, I'm a, I'm a good writer, but I was mm -hmm. a good writer for college classes. Then sure. I get into the yep. workplace and I'm like, yep. wait a minute, workplace communication is completely different. Very different. And and today it's it's one of the things that I, I take pride in is my ability as a writer for the workplace. Mm -hmm. It's pretty tight. It's pretty to the point. Yep. But I had to relearn how to write. Did you have that experience? And if so, how did you overcome that? Sure. Yeah. The one thing that was uh, really stands out, even that was many years ago, was that we were we were writing. You know, I, there was days at, at, in Lincoln um, in the annuities division where I was writing for eight or ten hours straight. Mm, wow. Um, so wow. whether it was for our you know employee newsletter, <laughs> whether it was for stuff for HR that we were trying to they had a legal you know our you know our legal team at, sure. at um, Lincoln. Uh, whether we were looking at short communication bits to put on our, we had a television a network tele television mm -hmm. system throughout the buildings all throughout um, the whole city where we had to figure out how to communicate something very, very concisely, very briefly that somebody would just see when they were walking through the buildings. Yeah. Um, or whether it was something that my boss at the time said, you know, this is something very specific for a sales team or for the president or whoever. Um I, I got to practice a lot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, and I had, at the time, I was the uh, least experienced person on the team and um, really just um, have always always been very open to criticism. Um, my parents taught me that. Other people in my life taught me that. Yeah. And so, you know, when I would do stuff, I would really focus on doing it well, but then hand it off to somebody, you know, get, get it redlined back, you know, even if it looked like a bloodbath, sit there and figure out um, how to adjust things. And, and with being, having that open-minded, you know, nature, I was able to adapt quickly to be able to, able to write specifically for, um, for that kind of an environment. Yeah. Well, it is, it is a leap. And, and that criticism you talked about is, is a really important piece. I remember, you know, after doing well in, in classes as a writer, I would give stuff for people to read after college and it would come back redlined. Mm -hmm. And my attitude was so like, how dare you criticize my writing? I'm a yep. great writer. And someone said to me, they said, listen, do you want feedback or do you want me to say it's great? Because it's not. And yep. if you learn how to take criticism, you're going to get better. And that was a, a hard lesson for you to learn, but one that still sticks with me to this day. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's a that was something else too in college. I took a few... I tried to diversify my my English um, 
the classes I took, I really tried to do that with intention, knowing that, you know, even though my specialty was surrealist poetry, okay. <laughs> um, that was not going to apply in the workplace yeah, at all. Sure. Now, there are elements of what that is all about that certainly do. Um, I can always make leaps. Um, but, you know, I wanted to make sure that I didn't look like I had just come out of college, sure. you know, that I had like some, you know, I felt at least a little comfortable with doing some professional writing. Yeah. And, um, and I also did a few projects for people that were already out in the workplace, just okay. took it on myself and said, hey, let me, let me get, you know, you can either use it or not, but let me practice. Yeah. So I just yeah. kind of took those things on myself. Yeah. Okay. So after Lincoln, where do you go from there? So I got offered a job kind of out of the blue. Um, somebody knew somebody who knew me that mm-hmm. said, um, hey, Civic Theater, mm-hmm. you're looking to really change a lot right now. Is it a very critical time for the Civic? A lot of leadership changing. Philip Colglazer was just coming on board mm-hmm. um, at, in the leadership role there. And he was looking to um, hire a few people in at the time uh, to kind of make some uh, significant changes. And he heard about me and uh, reached out to me and said, would you be interested in coming on and being our director of marketing? Um, and at the time, I was I was actually very humbled because I didn't, I don't know that I felt fully qualified to do sure, that, sure. but also it's nonprofit. I know resources are thin. Um, I know that the people that he had interacted with um, knew kind of what I was made of um, and knew that um, I love a challenge. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of foundation to be to be made there at the time and a lot of learning to do. And I, I met with them and we just kind of had this, we clicked pretty well. And he said, I don't, I'm focused on so much other stuff for, for this organization. I need people I don't have to babysit. Yeah. And I told him one of the things that he would get with me is somebody that was self-sufficient. Sure. Um, and then I would only pull him in when I felt like it was really necessary. And my maturity always has helped me in these situations. So um, I don't think I came across as somebody that didn't have tons of experience. And I kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of key projects I did at Lincoln that were fairly impressive for being early in my career. And he said, yeah, let me make you an offer. And they made an offer and I jumped into the nonprofit game. Okay. So how long were you there and and what was that like? So I was there for a little over a year Mm -hmm. and it was just incredible. I was, there were days where I was there for 20 hours. Oh, wow. Not joking. Wow. (laughs) It was, it was an intense little over a year because I, um, I loved what I was doing. It was really interesting. It was, I, I wasn't a drama kid in high school mm-hmm. or anything like that. So actually just watching kind of entertainment unfold on a local level like that was really um, amazing to be a part of. Um, I felt like I got, I came in, I helped rebrand. Um, I set the tone for some really new things. We had some really incredibly damaged relationships with the media at the oh, time. Oh, wow. Okay. Like I had people that would hang up on me, wouldn't even take wow. my call. Okay. Um, and, um, my interpersonal skills are, I think, one of my strong suits. Mm-hmm. So I sat there and thought, I, I've got to, like, I got to fix this. Yeah. Um, and so I took on some some kind of big task where there's been some damage done at the time um, for whatever reasons. That's not for me to judge or now or then. Um, sure. And I, I was like, you know what? I, there's just problems to fix here. Yeah. Um, and by the end of my tenure, things were, I felt like in a good place. I had worked really hard for that year plus to like get things back on track and to kind of prove that we were doing great work and that Phillips tenure was going to be, um, you know, a great time for the, for the civic. 
And, um, but it was just, it was incredibly long days and I was hardly at home at all. <laughs> sure, sure. And that doesn't work for very long. That doesn't. Yeah. So, yeah. so what's the next step after that? So then I went to, uh, I kind of stayed in nonprofit for a while. So I liked, I liked being able to be a part of something community oriented. Um, I thought the civic was, um, important cause I'm an, a fan of the arts. Um, it's in my blood and I, I got, approached by the Girl Scouts of Limberlost Council, okay. uh, which looks a lot different nowadays than it did back then because it's gone through a lot of evolution. Sure. Um, and they did not have a, they did not have a marketing person in-house. Mm -hmm. They outsourced a lot of stuff and they were in a real transition when, when I met with the executive director at the time and she said, I think we want to bring this in-house. We're not sure. What would you think about coming over to the council and doing it like, for a while, like let's just say six months to a year and then allowing all of us to reevaluate. Um, that was a little scary at the mm -hmm. time because sure. I didn't like the kind of, this may not be a permanent yeah. thing. Um, but I also, I thought highly of what the council was about. It's a very, it was very successful. I believe it's still successful council. Um, and I I thought that I had the ability to, to make an impact there and it would have going to offer a little bit more life balance, okay. uh, you know, work-life balance. So. Yeah. So yeah, so I was there, and then at the end of that tenure, they decided they didn't want to. They wanted to like they didn't want to have it in house, okay. and it had it was had nothing to do with kind of we we parted on really good terms. Yeah. Um, it was more you know there was just a structure. The structure was odd. Yeah. Um, I was also managing the retail operations at the time oh, wow. and okay. the grant writer and some things that while they could inherently fall under marketing, yeah. Um, it, it was it was a little bit it was different sure. it, it, you know and I wanted to spend honestly a little bit more of my time focused on marketing and branding yeah um, managing a retail staff managing the grant writer who um, I really needed to give more time and effort to it wasn't you know I was spending my time doing a lot of stuff that that really wasn't stuff I was I don't want to say I'm not enjoying but it wasn't where I wanted to focus sure. my efforts well and and sometimes just because you're good at something doesn't mean you want to do it so that's right that's right <laughs> yeah all right so where do we go from there so then um, I went to the Parkview YMCA mm -hmm. and was there for a few years while that that Y had just opened up yeah. uh, was brand new um, Christian Reesberg was this uh, he was my boss at the time there he he had he had gotten my actually my resume and this is. This is a word of advice for people out there because this still happens. And this has happened to me, too, in recent years. Um, I had sent my resume into him uh, while I was at the Civic um, because I knew that I couldn't sustain that workload. Sure. And he had my resume for over a year before he reached out to me. And he had um, they had hired from within for a position. Um, the person just didn't work out. And then he kind of reached out to me right about the time all the, the, the Limberlost stuff kind of shifted and I knew that I was going to have to find something sure. and said, hey, you know, I know I didn't contact you back when you were submitted, but would you like to have a conversation? And I said, sure. And so I went there and that was a bit of a different marketing role. Um, very interesting. Another role where I learned a lot about how I wanted to spend my time in a, in a leadership role. Um, so... It was very grassroots marketing in that area of the city. 
So, you know, we were going out into additions in that part of town, other local businesses up on that side of the town, and trying to figure out ways of collaborating to support each other, get more business for each other. Um, But then I managed a team of as many as 28 people and as few as about 20 to 22 people. And those were all membership services focused on the member experience, um, making sure that they knew how to do everything from um, give a proper tour <laughs> to do all of the financial stuff on the front end um, to um, adhere to a lot of policies that a lot of people don't know or at the why. So, you know, I had, uh, we had people, um, we had to deal with everything from gang activity. Um, we, we were the ones that generally called the cops when things got, oh, you know, wow. we had, we had a lot of situations and um, in which when you're dealing with the public and things get out of hand, you got to sure. deal with crisis. Sure. So we, we had to deal with all those kinds of things. And I had to really fine tune my, my management abilities mm-hmm. there yeah. because I had 28 people. Oh, sure. With. And sure. that was, that was a lot. It was really fun, but a lot of them are part-time and you get very, you know, you get different levels of commitment sure. and have to kind of navigate through all that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. another learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So then what next? So then I decided I needed to take a break from nonprofit mm-hmm. <laughs> as we all have to kind of evaluate sure. at times in our career. Sure. And um, I, you know, they, there was some Christian moved on from the Y and he had been the one, he had been in this area for a long time. Um, and the management structure at the Y changed significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found myself in a position to have to find a job. Yep. <laughs> and so um, I did some freelance work during that time. And then I kind of, um, about three months into my job search, it was a little less than three months, um, I had a friend reach out to me that had done some work with me from a freelance capability um, when I was still employed fully, full time. And she said, you know, um, I don't know if this is the right kind of kind of employer for you. <laughs> She's like, because it's conservative, it's an hour, over an hour away from mm-hmm. you. There's like a lot of things that you may or may not like about it. It may yeah. not be the kind of industry you want to be in. Um, but she said, but I could tell you, you would love working for who would be your boss. Okay. And so I met with um, John Boggs, who is actually now the mayor of Portland, Indiana. Okay. Um, and he had been at DRG for a long time. And we sat down and had a casual conversation. And that was the first time that I, during a job interview, I was brutally honest and said, these are my concerns. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm the right fit for you. I don't know if I want to travel here all the time. Um, You know, I really like what I'm seeing with you, but I, I, you know, there's some deal breakers here for me. Sure. And uh, we had a couple of conversations Mm -hmm. and he just decided he really wanted me on the team and really like said, how do we make this happen? And um, he was really growing that team at the time, which was all over the country. So it was a remote team, which Uh was great to like experience at that point in my career. Yeah, sure. Um, And so I came on board with DRG for a few years and traveled all over the country for them um, at different trade um, and customer events and client events. And I worked with a team of salespeople every day to figure out how to take the edge off of their sales, like their the kind of the edge off of their sales personalities, mm-hmm. which was very intimidating to a yeah, lot of people sure. in the crafting industry. Okay. And figure out a way of genuinely and authentically um, showing how our products were a good fit for people. Um, and so I worked with them and kind of created all these mini marketing plans for all these people. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh, but we actually, our team did really well the whole time I was there. And I was really proud of kind of all, everything we achieved. All right. So, so you're up front. 
and helped the the your boss understand here's the kind of risk you're going to be taking if you hire me which yeah. is it's always a risk right yep, if you're absolutely. not up front you're taking another kind of risk yeah so sounds like you have a good boss or in a good situation there but you decide to do something else what what led to that change and where'd you go from there sure so um change is something i've gotten used to um so at drg <laughs> yeah. we had a very we were our division was very financially sound yeah um but the organization decided to outsource it entirely. Okay. So a company in New York, outs- mm-hmm. they outsourced it to, and everyone in our division lost lost a job. And I was the last person standing. Um, they maintained, they kept me for the launch. I kind of knew a lot about the division, so mm-hmm. felt like that was part of the reason why I, I got the luxury of having a little more time than other people. Sure. And I had worked with everyone all over the country very closely. Um, and at that point, I, I was sitting there, and this is right when the economy hit. Like mm-hmm. I mean, this was right in the heart of yep. everything in that era. Um, and so I dove back into freelance work, um, actually did pretty well during that time because people were more willing to pay a freelancer than, than actually hire somebody on sure. to do marketing work. Sure. So I was able to keep myself sustained. But w- one of the things that during that time was that I, I, I live on the Northeast side of Norway. Mm-hmm. I have, dr- I had driven by MedPro like almost daily for like years and years. And I knew what MedPro was. Um, And I kind of casually kept my eye out because I I, I thought it was a really interesting company for Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons. And um, so I kind of just keep my eye out and very seldom do opportunities come up there in the marketing area. Sure. And one just by happenstance came up while I was doing some freelance projects. And I said, you know, I'm going to apply. And um, then I spent several years at MedPro. And uh, one of the most valuable employment experiences of my career by far. So why is that? How would you summarize that? Um, I really thrive in an environment where I can critically think Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was tasked with um, helping manage the marketing for a significant part of the country Every state was different because of uh, the liability industry is different in every sure. state, the med mail industry. So the laws and the things that affect Indiana don't affect Colorado or California the same way. It's a very complex um, industry. Um, I worked with lawyers on a daily basis, um, became very tight with the legal team there because what we did, you know, one error on my part, um, it collectively on the company's part, if we put something out, that was, you know, defamatory or a problem in the industry from a litigious perspective. I mean, we could get a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine like that, wow, um, or a million dollar fine. Yeah, um, sure. So we had to be incredibly careful about how we did everything. And I like thinking about all the spokes on the wheel, mm-hmm. thinking about the facets of what you're doing, making sure that you're still being competitive and accurate in your kind of your marketing assets, but also. Um, I got very comfortable with that team on making sure that we didn't step over the line, but getting very close to the line. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, it was just critical thinking a lot, sure. which I love. And I like to, um, I just like to mull things over. I like to have a problem and go home at night and think about it and figure out the best way to represent the company in doing it. And that, that was a daily thing at Vetpro. Okay. All right, so so from there you go to IAB. Yep. So, How does that switch happen? So I was at uh, I was at MedPro, and um, I just at the time I didn't feel like there was I was kind of there's a lot of changes going on mm-hmm. with the people I was working with. Um, I wasn't feeling quite as 
utilized as I wanted sure. to. But I would have been happy to stay at MedPro for longer. Um, what happened was a recruiter came to me. Okay. I, it was a, a, accidental. Um, somebody approached me and said, um, you know, had we had a common uh, contact and they said, are you looking to move? And I said, not really, but, you know, I, I would be open to talking to sure. you. And um, a recruiter said, we have a position in banking. You would have a team, which I did not have at MedPro. And I, one thing I was kind of interested in having was was developing a team. Yeah. Um, and not not the, the size of team I had at the Y. Sure. Um, but like having like a really tight marketing team. Mm-hmm. That was something that I was hoping to do at MedPro and just it kind of never got there. Um, and so um, kind of worked through the recruiter. Um, that process actually went really well. I met my who would be my boss at, at um, IEB. Um, loved that me and her were very different people, but we had incredible respect for each other. Um, and I thought that we would dynamically work well together because she was looking, um, the vacancy that I was filling, um, somebody had been in that role for like 18 years. Oh, wow. And Karen was looking to to have some creative change, mm-hmm. and um, and she met me, and like I said, we were very different, but we just you know opposites attract, sure. and we we uh, you know I liked her, she liked me, I brought some real ideas to the table in my interviews, and we had long interviews, we had like three hour interviews oh, with wow. each other, wow. um, and then when I met my team there, um, I immediately knew I this can this might be something great, mm-hmm. and um, I. I had such a great team there that had the had things not changed for IEB, I would still be there. Okay. So it was it was I had a I had a designer and a project manager on my team, and we just every day we did incredible work day in and day out. It was a very fulfilling experience with actually the amount of stuff we did during our tenure there, um, because we we just cranked out an enormous amount of work for all of these branches. And and IAB was the result of a merger with a couple of banks, correct? So, yeah, so it had the history. It was, uh, yes, it came together, Grable and some other stuff. And then we, we had been acquiring banks when I was there, mm-hmm. small banks. Like yeah. just, it wasn't, it wasn't an entity looking to go around and do gigantic buys. It sure. was looking to... Um, to acquire as it made sense. So there's a bank in Bourbon, Indiana that yep. we acquired and things like that. And, uh, and then uh, there was a, a stock situation that came up and all of a sudden we we were getting acquired. <laughs> so, so and we were, we our team and kind of a lot of the employees that ended up um, being a, kind of casualties of that, uh, we were on still for a while after we found out about everything. Sure. So there was a good six, eight months there where we were all retained and kind of working with first, you know, first merchants to try yeah. to make sure that the transition was, sure. was uh, you know, smooth and which I appreciate because it was two organizations trying to really work together for the best of the, cu- the customer, for the best sure. of the customer. So, sure. so yeah. So you have a pretty decent history of being there to turn the lights off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about where you are today. Sure. Which is you go from there to the embassy. Yeah. And I think most people know what the embassy is. Um, but let's talk about your role and, and what the embassy has experienced over the past 14 months before we hit record. You were talking about the fact that the embassy never really shut down, although things were very different. So talk us through, if you don't mind, for those who might not know, how do you describe the embassy and then what have the last 14 months or so been like? 
Sure. Yeah. And it's it's crazy to me how, especially people who are local that have that have been here, born and raised here, how many people have not been to the embassy. Um, so the embassy is a theater that was founded in 1928. Um, it is a historic icon in downtown Fort Wayne. We are a venue with a an amazing stage on it, and we can seat about 2,500 people, 2,471 actually. Um, and and so we're this historic theater um, that ended up getting saved by the community in the 70s, too, from the wrecking ball. Amazing, amazing story of community perseverance to save a historic uh, icon, which is um, it's really incredible to be a part of that because the community loves the embassy. Sure. Um, but also we acquired the Indiana Hotel side of the actual b building um, a few years ago. We actually restored it all. Um, and so we had this big space over there. Uh, some of the area in there, especially the Indiana Hotel side, a lot of people have never even been in. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a ballroom. We have a rooftop patio. We have all this rental space for events and uh, small and large um, and just this amazing theater that brings in all these rentals from national tours, you know, like things that everyone is, you know, familiar with, like your Seinfelds and big bands and stuff like that. Uh, but also we, we are a nonprofit and a lot of people lose sight of that or don't know that about the embassy. Um, so we have a commitment to serve the community too. So we do a lot. We have a full education program. Uh, we have, uh, we do over during COVID, we have connected with a lot of local nonprofits because we have the luxury of space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once all of this happened last year um, and everyone was on lockdown there for those few weeks that were mandatory, uh, literally the week we came home, we all set up Zoom, we got it all situated and we figured out what are we going to, how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. Because uh, because one of the things about Kelly Updike and and really the the whole team is that we we don't like to quit anything sure. <laughs> like we're we're very we're not only an adaptive team but we are a team that tries wants to try to figure out how to not say no to things or not be bullied by a situation like this sure. where all, you know everyone was closing their doors all yeah. the venues all over the country and sure. the world were closing their doors and we were like what can we do how can we think this through and we started to think, well, if if we can work with the Board of Health and we provide plans to them that they're comfortable with, then why don't we just do really small um, events and work with nonprofits and other community partners to be able to host their events if they need that space? Because a lot of their home venues, they couldn't do it sure. because of that. And um, we got we, we have an operations officer that's incredible, and she just quickly figured out how we were going to um, abide by all the guidelines, the health guidelines, um, how we were going to ensure that I could tell the public that you can come here if you choose to, sure. you know, and feel as, and we, we didn't use the word safe, but feel like your exposure is as little as possible. Sure. Um, and we're going to do events that normally you'd have hundreds of people and we're going to cap them at 48. Sure. So, so a couple of questions. Did you get any, was there any negative publicity with that? Was there any pushback on mm -hmm. that? Because obviously it's been a contentious issue regardless oh, of, you know, right. what position you take. Yes. And, you know, tell me a little bit about that and then what type of events you successfully were able to host. Sure. Uh, we did get pushback. Um, I would say we got a lot more positivity from mm -hmm. our supporters and from the community. You know, it was funny for a while there, the media was contacting me like, 
almost weekly saying we can't, we can't believe that you're you guys are mm-hmm. making this happen like you're yeah. making it, you're making it go sure um and it was mainly because we just like i said we don't have the i'm gonna quit or give up in sure. our blood mm-hmm. um so you know summer night started last year mm-hmm. we started a couple weeks late um we did virtual the first two uh we adapted to a bunch of virtual stuff throughout all of this as well but we you know we went to the health department and mary joe was working closely with them because we had to get everything approved and they said you know yeah you you can do it you just can't have more than 48 people mm-hmm. and so we just had events with 48 people. Well, it's a it's a largely outdoor event, correct? Do it's indoor, right? outdoor. So we have yeah. the rooftop yeah. uh, patio, but it's hosted in the ballroom. Okay. But the ballroom is large. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, that's a large space for weddings and stuff. Sure. You know, so you, you're used to having your receptions with 350 people in there. Yeah. And if we have to figure out how to spread out and place 48 people, um, and that was including staff. So we just figured out how to do these micro events, really. Yep. Um, and then throughout the summer, we did uh, we did some films in our in our auditorium because yep. we can seat twenty five hundred sure. people. So we can spread everyone out. Yep. Our box office immediately figured out how to seat social distance, you know, socially distance, figured out how to, um, we, our cleaning crew, which we have Blue Jacket, who's our mm-hmm. cleaning crew, um, just hunkered down and figured out how to do everything from a sanitization perspective, how we, you know, do things without intermission so that we don't have to constantly, like we, we had just all these operational things sure. in, in place. Sure. We had, you know, ingress and egress was different. We had one-way traffic patterns. We stopped doing high touch things like some of the concession stuff. Uh, we just figured out how to eliminate the risks and how to figure out how to do the stuff we could do. Um, and so as we moved through the summer and did summer nights, we hosted like the Summit City Vocal Classic in August. We had films, like I said, in, in August, silent films. We went into the fall with, uh, we did Hobnobbin. That was, Cinema Center didn't know how to do it mm-hmm. because they couldn't. Sure. So we're like, well, let's talk. Let's yeah. make this happen. And they're, they're bringing it back again this year, which is amazing. Um, we worked with um, Three Rivers Music Theater, who we're working with on an event um, on the uh, later in June um, so that they could host an event in October. We hosted a couple of uh, Embassy Presents shows that we bought ourselves that we thought, you know, we can do this and handle this because we can control attendance and we can control how it goes. And then the big kicker was, are we going to do Festival of Trees? Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, we see about 23,000 people, and we knew that there was no way um, this was going to look normal, but we had the Festival of Trees, which to me is, when I look back, I'm still kind of in awe that we were able to pull that off. So how many people went through it in 2020? So I believe it was about 6,000 people total, Okay, but we doubled the length of it. Uh-huh. We opened it up earlier. We had it open longer. We had everyone, you know, if you bought a ticket, it was good for your hour. Mm-hmm. So, and we had um, our, our traffic pattern, which was actually really nice. It wasn't as kind of stilted and stuff as you might think, sure. but people really enjoyed kind of the path that we made so that it could, people could spread out. Um, we eliminated things like, you know, like, you know, we had some dedicated photo opportunities um, where people could stop and take photos, but we tried to kind of keep people moving. And then um, the big thing, it's something like that every year is like, you know, we always have stage activity and we always have Santa. And um, the stage activity, we just, we decided, even though we kept working it through and working it through, that it was, it was going to be too hard to do. Sure. So we said, you know, this year we have to practically, we have to be practical and we have to not do it. However, like with Santa, we kept thinking, how do we do Santa? <laughs> so we did a virtual Santa. Okay. And it, it, I mean, it all, 
people that came through the festival were incredibly thankful. And um, it was, and we had almost as many trees as we normally have. And it, it was incredible. So it, was it a situation where you learned some things that you'll keep moving forward or you think you're going to go back to 100% the, the way you used to do it? Both. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, well it's I mean, one yeah, of the great outcomes of the last 14 months. Obviously, yes. there's been a lot of bad over the last 14 months. Sure. But one of the things that I think everyone's learned, whether or not you're a marketer, is there's some things we've learned to do that actually should stay and yep. some ways we used to work that maybe should have never been there in the first place. Absolutely. So, yeah. One of the – a key example of that is um, that we – two things quickly. So we have decorators come in. And we it's a, It's a very – coordinated up like it's like a ballet that, that week of festival trees opening is just to watch it is really interesting so you have to have the decorators come in just a couple days before opening and like you know basically make it into a ma magical you know winter wonderland sure um and that had been an incredibly stressful um uh like essentially day and a half uh in the old pre-pandemic uh festival of trees mm -hmm. experience uh last year we were able to we had to spread it out so that we can only have so many people in the building at any given sure. time sure. and it worked out so much better yeah. just it, it like we had to think about it all very differently but it everyone the decorators um, you know, getting the trees put up, our staff, it, it just, the stress levels were much lower because it wasn't kind of that mad rush to get it all done. Sure. Um, and then you, of course, you always have issues um, with things breaking and, and not, you know, lights not turning on and all the stuff you have to troubleshoot quickly. So that was, that is something that I know that our team is going to retain. And then also something as simple as a printed program, mm -hmm. you know, I would, you know, print, you know, Tens sure. of thousands of them, and then, and then at the end of the day, they they most of them just get thrown out, yeah. um, not even properly recycled. Um, and we decided after last year, a digital program is just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, we had our People's Choice voting and our voting for different trees. We did that all digitally, yeah. and we did not feel that the loss of, you know, the the number of people that didn't choose to do it, because mm -hmm. you know, like just because it wasn't a paper thing, you know, it 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 equaled out to be just fine. Yeah. You know, we do, we didn't feel like we had a lot of people that just didn't want to do it because of that. Sure. Anything, it seems like anything that was kind of on the bubble got yes. pushed into, you know, a new way of doing it. 100%. So, yeah. So tell me about some of the major projects. What, what's taking up your time? What's taking up your headspace? What's keeping you up at night? What's getting you excited? Maybe a combination of all those things. What are some of the projects that you're working on right now? Uh, yeah, so right now we're we have our fiscal year. Our fiscal year starts September first. Mm -hmm. So during the summer, uh, starting in about May, we, we're getting we always get very feverish about how we're going to tackle the next calendar year or the next fiscal year for us. And so right now, you know, I'm spending my time on a few things. One is getting back into like reacclimating to the full the full like swing of a lot of activity in the building. Um, everyone is, I mean, it's really starting to feel like that's, we're getting into sure, it again. Sure. Um, and that kind of re, just getting everyone in the groove of coming back, making sure that we find the communication balance with people because before the pandemic, we were communicating with our patrons, members, the community, media, and a certain like kind of frequency. Mm -hmm. And then of course, everything got saturated and everyone's zoned out during yeah, the pandemic, sure. and it just became too much. Yep. So then it was trying to figure out how do we communicate, when do we communicate, why do we communicate? So now we're having to, I'm having to readjust how I interact on behalf of the embassy with people mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, there people are now more discriminating about what they want to see when they want to see it. Yep. Um, and so we're having to make adjustments with that. We, and I love communications, like, 
like directing communications thing. That's something that's kind of in my blood. So trying to figure out how to strike that balance is I'm working on that for next year. Uh, Also, I'm looking at doing a total web redo, which um, is going to be a major project. So we have backend API stuff from Ticketmaster and other things. And it's just, I want to make it really user-friendly and that's going to be a big project. And because everything is very active and we're always having a lot of change on the site because of our activities in the building, um, that's that's exciting and it will take a little while to do, but I'm hoping to do that in 2022. But there's a lot of work to be done to get there. Um, And really just developing... Um, a team, which when I came on board with Kelly, I told her that, you know, I, this is not a one person operation sure. at the embassy. Sure. This has to be, um, there has to be multiple people on the marketing team. And for many years, um, it, it was, you know, it's been that way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was time for growth of that when I came on board. Um, and then, you know, I got into the groove, kind of figured out what I wanted to do with a team, yeah. and then we got hit with the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now, now of... it's just like, how do I develop a marketing staff and kind of marketing resources going forward to figure out how to like move us kind of in the direction that I, I know that we need to go and kind of our whole senior team and just the team in general knows we need to go. Sure. So it sounds like a lot of different things taking up your time. Yeah. It's just a matter of prioritizing them. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to turn to what I call the speed round of the show, yep. where we talk through three questions similar to some of the things we've talked about, but with more pithy, concise answers. Um, first one is about career path. Mm-hmm. You've obviously done a lot of different things. Sure. You came from a writing background and have parlayed that into a more broad career in marketing. What's the best lesson you've learned about success in a career or building a career path or finding your way? What's the thing you would share with someone who maybe wasn't sure what they wanted to do or was contemplating a job change? What would you say to them? I would say um, be humble, jump in, and just start digging into things. Um, and really kind of take initiative to get in the middle of the mess of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I learned early on in my career to just dive in. And then um, usually you get it gets sorted out pretty quickly, uh, like at Lincoln. It got sorted out pretty quickly where I was going to spend my time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also kind of dabbled in a lot of the stuff our, our team did. And um be an action figure is like what I would say as okay. like a mantra right. to just like make sure that you can um, show that you're that you're doing things and the results of what you do. Okay. All right. Really good advice. So let's talk about the embassy for a second. Um, I'll give you a choice here. A couple different ways you can answer this question. One option is how would you describe the embassy to someone if you only had 30 seconds? Or is there a myth or a misconception about the embassy that you'd like people to to better understand? Hmm. I would say the the thing with the embassy that I hear over and over from people that I want to make sure people understand, it is it, it is a place where you go to experience art mm-hmm. um, and, and, and make memories. And that might sound a little cheesy, but when I talk to patrons and members and donors and sponsors, um, there are incredible memories that are had in our building mm-hmm. um, because not only is it this historic, beautiful place, but, you know, there are experiences that people have never had, That whether it's somebody that they wanted to see on the stage or they got married there or they, you know, spent like a 
critical time with a friend at an event there, or um, they came and, and saw a community related, you know, project there. And, and so I, I think it's, it's a place where you get to experience things and it sticks with you for life. So it's not a casual thing. When you walk through the doors, it has a certain kind of magic behind it. Yeah. And, um, and I can tell you before I ever took this job, uh, one of my most incredible musical things in Fort Wayne as far as seeing a band happened when I got an, a lone empty seat um, on the front row of the embassy by kind of accident. And I went to an, uh, to a concert by myself there. And to this day, I can still remember everything about it because it was incredible. What was the concert, if you don't mind? It was Ben Folds with the Philharmonic. Okay, all right. It yeah. was just an incredible show from start to end. And the music was amazing and the sound and the just the experience of everyone around me. Yeah, well, and I, I certainly have experienced that. I remember when my son was very young, everything from we went to see Bear in the Big Blue House at the embassy, but we also went to the first couple down the line oh, yeah. shows. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he was very young, but really I think it gave him an appreciation for music that he might not have had otherwise. Absolutely. Saw Seinfeld there a couple times, yep. obviously a different experience. But, sure. yeah, a lot of those touchstone moments, you remember the experience, and part of that's the venue. And obviously part of it is the talent, but yep. the venue makes a, makes a great impression too. That's right. All right, one more, and I'm going to mix this one up a little bit. So – you were able to persevere pretty well through the pandemic and, and you know, make work work during that yep. time. What are some of the lessons beyond maybe, you know, some of the things you mentioned with Festival of Trees, but what are some of the lessons that you learned during that time that you think will stay with you moving forward? Um, I think at the end of the day, and this is not necessarily specific to the pandemic, but it, but it is because we focused on a lot. I think that when you focus on quality and excellence and being attentive to your patrons and your customers, whatever you call them, um, and delivering like a genuine experience for people, they will, they will stick with you through thick and thin. And we had, um, a lot of people reach out to us during the pandemic that wondered how we were going to survive or how we were surviving. And I think that what we did was we just continued to focus on on excellence. <laughs> and uh, when we worked with a partner, um, be it Cinema Center or, uh, you know, our own events or like a Summit City Vocal Classic or um, some of the, we also worked with um, a, uh, a theater out of uh, Indianapolis as well. We, we we don't do anything halfway at the embassy. We really focus on doing it right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the whole experience, uh, what you're going to see at the end of the day when it's live and kind of the way we interact with people as partners getting up to that live event. And so I think that um, excellence kind of differentiates you and wins the day. And I think that um, if you can maintain that during times of crisis – that's um, that's going to make you stand out. And it's going to help you feel really good about what you're getting through. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, granted, during the pandemic, everyone emotionally felt, uh, a, you know, a variety of things. And, um, and it was just a matter of having a team dynamic that allowed us to always focus on how we were going to do things really well and that we were going to get through it and we were going to come out with a lot of lessons learned. Yeah. Yeah, well, certainly um, we, we've all experienced that. And I think we're now just getting an understanding for what we collectively and individually went through. And yes. <laughs> hopefully it makes us a little stronger moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Carly, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. And thanks to all of 
all of you who took the time to listen to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then. 